Well, good morning, Bel Air family. As we gather in this place, I know that as we are here live uh, in this room, there's many streaming with us around the country, um, and even some even outside our nation. And for those of you listening to this, I want to thank you for choosing to engage with us and to participate in this service here at Bel Air. We are today wrapping up a seven-week series on prayer. A lot of things you can talk about prayer. And from day one, the beginning of this entire series, we've quickly gone to this truth that Scripture reveals to us that it's not some magic prayer that gives us access to God. It's not some, you know, magic formula, abracadabra, nothing like that, no, nothing we could formulate on our own that gives us access to God, but simply prayer is something that happens because we have access to God. How do we get access to God? Well, Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 3, a great book of the Bible written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, he says that we have access to God with boldness and confidence through faith in Jesus Christ. So prayer is continuing the conversation that God has already begun and how we over these seven weeks have explored in some of the most unlikely places or the most unlikely circumstances we still have access to God when it's through faith and trust in Jesus. So we've taken a look at familiar prayers like the Lord's Prayer. And how even in that we have access to God, even in the moments of doubt and despair and hurt, the questions before God, all these different moments of our life, we still have access to God. And today, we're going to explore that even in the impossible, we have access to God. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 15, second book of the Bible. If you're online, you can perhaps pull up a browser next to you, or if you're in the room with a mobile phone or device, you can go to Exodus chapter 15. If you're in the front row, actually right behind your leg there is a red pew Bible. You can grab that. It's on page 54. And as we turn there, I want to set the scene for you. Many of you, perhaps, as I read this, oh, Charlton Heston, you'll think. Or perhaps some of you younger will think, oh, Prince of Egypt. I know this story. Maybe some of you will be like, oh, Christian Bale. I just saw this movie, you know, a month ago, right? One of the most dramatic, one of the most impossible scenarios in human history has just played out. The nation of Israel, God's people, has been enslaved for over four centuries in Egypt. The most powerful nation, the most mighty army on earth has oppressed God's people. And so through a series of dramatic miracles and plagues, impossible thing after impossible thing, they are rescued. They're saved. They're brought up out of Egypt, and then they're hemmed in on the edge of the Red Sea. In the midst of that most impossible moment, God does something more than they could have ever asked or imagine God parts the sea, leads the entire nation through, some people believe, upwards of hundreds of thousands, perhaps a million people all the way through. And the mighty army of Pharaoh with chariots and horses and warriors and spears, trained fighting men, chase them, pursue them, and the sea enfolds over them, crushing them, killing them, saving God's people. Now they're on the other side. The rescue has just happened. The impossible has just happened. And they sing a song. And this song is, is a prayer. In the midst of the impossible, this is the prayer that they pray. And before I read it, before we listen to it, before we see it on the, t on the page, I want you to read your own life 
the impossible things in your life, the things yet experienced, the impossible relationship that you want to have, the, the status that you long for, the diagnosis to be reversed, a child who is wrapped up in addiction, for them to be freed from that. Think of the impossible things that you long for in your life. And while seeing and hearing their story of impossibility, I want you to read your own life, your own impossible needs and desires into it as well. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 and then pick up on verse 20 and 21. Hear this. This is God's Word. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His picked officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumed them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed. In the heart of the sea, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Yet you blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? Verse 20. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out with her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, horse and rider. He has thrown into the sea. This, my friends, is God's Word. God has just done an impossible, impossible thing. And it's not just an impossible thing that they knew was impossible. This was an impossible thing that they didn't even know to describe as impossible. That's what I mean by that. When they were hemmed in on the edge of the Red Sea, on the cusp of freedom, on the cusp of finally being free after generations of slavery, they couldn't go past that great body of water. They were cornered in. They were hemmed in. They were trapped by this mighty army. If you were to poll, if you were to ask and say, what's the most impossible thing that you hope could happen? They wouldn't even be able to articulate the possibility that God would take all of that army and drown them in the sea. This was beyond impossible. This was beyond what they even could describe as impossible. And yet that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we love. That's the God that has called us by name to love us, to redeem us, to choose to follow Him. In fact, when you go cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, in principle and in practice, God is a God of miracles, of impossible things being possible. There's nothing that's impossible with God. 
We see it throughout Scripture. We see sea parted. We see later on manna coming from heaven to feed them when there's no food. We see water coming from a rock where there's no water. We see walls of Jericho coming down. We see a sun stood still so the army could continue to fight. We see the dead raised to life. We see water turned to wine. We see loaves of bread and fish multiplying. The ice, the eyesight that was not there, all of a sudden people could see. People who could not walk could finally walk. People who could not talk could finally talk. There is miracle after miracle, and that is the God that we serve. And we live in a world that, that so, I think, shies away from the miracle because it doesn't fit into our Western rational worldview. And so much of our life is spent kind of just, you know, plain Christianity and plain church because we worship a God that isn't as big as the God that actually is. We have a God that does miracle after miracle, and there's things in your life now that you think are impossible, and God says, are you kidding me? That's as big as you can dream? That, that, that's easy for me. You see, God, impossible is not in God's vocabulary. It's not in His lexicon. It's not in His dictionary. And many of you have heard stories like this. Many of you have heard sermons about this, that God is the God of the impossible. No matter what it is, no matter what you long for, no matter what you dream for, no matter what is impossible, God can deliver that for you. But I'm not going to say that today because that's only part of the story. That's the surface truth, but there's actually a truth beneath the truth. And so much of our life, we so much... We focus on the impossible thing that we want, and we ask God, come on, God, come on, God, come on, I want that, and it's impossible, and it's so, it's so great, it's so big, it's, I can't do it on my own, and we think that that's what the Christian faith is, just inviting God into the impossible things that we want, and God says, no, 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 you're, you're missing, you're missing, you're missing a deeper truth that leads to a deeper freedom, that leads to deeper peace and deeper security and deeper joy and deeper satisfaction. You see, there's, there's something phenomenal in this, this passage. I want you to open it back up again, and I want us to take a look at, at something very quickly before I unpack this. There's something that happens in these 21 verses of this song, this prayer, that it's so easy to overlook, it's so easy to miss. The only way I know this is because I took a seminary class at Fuller Seminary, and I learned from a teacher a literary device called a chiasm. Let me hear you say chiasm. All right, so this was very common. We don't use it as much right now. And, you know, you don't see it in the New York Times. You don't see it in the L.A. Times. You don't see it on many blog posts. But the idea of this is that somebody would communicate something, and we believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed, so God's Spirit is speaking through the writer Moses. And in these 21 verses, you'll notice that there's bookends to this prayer that are the exact same word, word for word, beginning and end. Take a look again. Verse 1. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. That's one bookend. Look at the last, the end of it, verse 21. Miriam saying to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Now, that's a little cue. It's a little clue to a treasure that's hidden in that prayer, that's hidden in that song. A chiasm, one way to describe it is this that if you were to take one step up for each verse of that length of Scripture, you'll reach an apex 
that is exactly the same amount of steps up as it is down. So verse 1 is one step up. Verse 2 is the next step up. Verse 3, 4, all the way up till you get to a certain point where there's the equal amount of steps all the way down to the end. The bookends, which are exactly the same, point to a kernel of truth, a treasure, a nugget, that if you can see that, that is the point of the entire thing. But before I get to that thing, I want to say that the bookends are the what? The impossible thing that God did. Horse and rider thrown into the sea. That's what God did that was impossible. But before I get to the center of that, the heart of it, the point of that prayer, the point of that song, the point of my sermon today, I want us to take a step back and I want to listen to Rocky Balboa. How many of you have seen Rocky Balboa? I'm talking about the original one, 1976. Okay, there's this great, there's this great scene. I, I, heard, I heard a clap over there. Wow. Yeah, it's good. So, you know, I, I've got this quote here that... that will help propel us forward in this sermon. You know, I was kind of rehearsing on the car ride up, you know, doing it in Rocky's voice, right? And, uh, and I thought, no, I can't pull it off. I can't pull it off. And there was this moment in the earlier service where like the whole front row was like, do it, do it, you can do it. And I'm like, can I do it? No, I can't do it. <laughs> but they egged me on and I did it and I didn't really pull it off. So let me just do it again. I don't want you to miss out on what the morning service. So I want you to hear this, okay? And, and don't, please don't get distracted by my awful impersonation of... Uh, Rocky Balboa, but this is, this is the moment. This is a huge moment in the, the first film. Rocky, the, the, this, this, guy, this fighter, right, is about to have this phenomenal fight with Apollo Creed. And just before that fight, he says to Adrian, right? You know Adrian, right? Okay. He says this. Listen to this. <laughs> Hopefully you don't lose it in the midst of my... Stumbling over this. He says to Adrian, hey, who am I kidding? I'm going to do this, I know. He's talking about Apollo. I ain't even in the guy's league. It don't matter. Because I was, I was nobody before. I was nobody. That don't matter either, you know. It really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if this guy opens my head either. Because all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings, you know, and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, you see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. Okay, you probably missed it in there because of the, the you know, you were distracted. Hold on. You, okay, let me make my point without the distraction. This is, this is a profound moment in Rocky's journey that opens up a window to every single one of our journeys. He says that if I can only go 15 rounds, if I could just do that, if I could just make it to the last bell, then I know I'm not a bum. I know I'm somebody. And I get emotional thinking about that. Because I think about in my life, it's not the 15 rounds to no longer be a bum, but it's Man, if I could just have everybody just like me, then I'll be secure in who I am. Or if I could just not let anyone down, then I'll be somebody of significance. And every single one of us, and it's not 15 rounds with Apollo to get 
the status of no longer being a bum, but every single one of us wants something. We want joy. We want security. We want peace. And we think that certain things will attain that ultimate thing. And it doesn't. It didn't for Rocky. Well, how do you know it didn't for Rocky? Well, he went 15 rounds. If you ever saw it, I mean, it's intense. He gets pummeled. 15 rounds, he goes against Apollo Creed. At the end of it, he, he knows he's no longer a bum. But then there's Rocky 2 and Rocky 3 and Rocky 4 and Rocky 5 and Rocky 6. Rocky 7 is coming out this year. You know, they've switched it. It's called Creed, I think. So it's kind of a spinoff. Sylvester Stallone, he's in it. I think he's like mentoring Apollo, so Apollo Creed's grandson. And so he gets pummeled and pummeled and pummeled and pummeled and pummeled and pummeled trying to get this impossible thing that he wants. If I could just do the impossible, nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. Nobody's ever done it. That is impossible. If I just do that, if I can just attain that, then I won't be a bum. You see, the nation of Israel, they said, oh, if we could just be free from Pharaoh if we could just no longer be in slavery, if we just didn't have to answer to anyone, if we didn't have to be a servant to anyone, if we just didn't have to experience any of that, then we'll know freedom. The problem is after they were rescued, three days later they were complaining again. They immediately forgot. Yes, they got the impossible thing that they wanted, but they hadn't yet gotten the impossible thing that they needed. And if there's one thing that I want us to take away today, it's that, that, that little kernel of truth. It's sometimes the impossible thing that we want, sometimes that gets in the way of the impossible thing that we need. You see, we want success. We want security. We want joy. We want peace. We want freedom. But the impossible thing that we need is something entirely different. Let's step back out of Rocky, out of my awful impersonation, and back into this passage real quick. I want to come back to that idea of a chiasm. There's the steps that lead up to a point, to the apex, to the the pinnacle of this passage that lead us back down. If you were to go to the dead center of those 21 verses, it would be verse 11. That's the treasure. That's the nugget. Open up those Bibles again if you have them. If not, listen to these words. It begins with the what that God did that was so impossible, but then it leads us right in the middle to the who behind the impossible, where Moses says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? Now, it's so easy to miss, it's so easy to overlook, but in the midst of the impossible things that we want God to do, it is so easy for us to miss the who, the God, the King of kings that is behind those miracles, behind that rescue, behind the impossible things that we want. You see, in that moment, in verse 11, right there, the nation of Israel, they experienced the deepest freedom they could ever know. Because in that moment, all they want is God. 
All they want is Him. They, they acknowledge, they recognize, they understand that there is none other than God who can give us peace and security and, and joy and satisfaction and freedom. In that moment, what they have pales in comparison to the who they have, and that is God. And it's so easy for us as Christians, as people, to want the impossible. And there are some times that God gives those things to us, but all of a sudden our focus shifts to those things away from the who that is behind all of it. Jesus multiplied bread and fish and very quickly, the crowds, they wanted the thing that he gave them. They wanted the food. They didn't want him. You see, the nation of Israel, in that moment, they understood that they were God's and God was theirs. In that moment, they experienced the impossible, the greatest impossibility there is. And it's a life completely surrendered to an almighty God, saying, I'm yours. We sang those songs earlier. If we're not at a place where we can actually experience that, those are just words on a screen, words that other people are singing, words that we're singing, but I'm telling you the greatest freedom that I've experienced in my life, and there's just been moments of like true, deep, intense, absolute freedom in those moments. It was complete and absolute surrender to God. My wife and I experienced a small group this past week of couples. It was the first time we joined this group, and there was one question that prompted all of us to share stories, impossible stories that only God could have been in. And there was tears, there was laughter, there was joy, there, there was the, the weightiness of all of that, and there was this common thread that in the midst of it was a God who loved us, who adored us, and it's so easy to get wrapped up in the miracle that we're wanting, the impossible thing that we think will give us joy, give us satisfaction, give us peace, give us security, and miss the God behind all of it, even if it's a good thing. You see, some of us, we, we, we long for that relationship, that job, that status, that, that, that zip code to live in, and we invite God into that impossible want. But there's a deeper need that I have, that we have, that I, I believe that every single one of us has, and it's to experience true freedom, true and absolute freedom. And we, like many of us, we, we aim at the wrong target, like Rocky did. He thought going 15 rounds with Apollo Creed would give him significance, and he got pummeled movie after movie after movie. I know it's Hollywood. They want to make some more money, but I'm telling you, Rocky, he's going, he's going, he's aiming at the wrong target. And many of us have experienced more of a pummeling in our lives if we're aiming at anything other than the God Almighty who gives us true security, true peace, true joy, true significance, one that can't shake us. And when you put your absolute hope and your foundation of who you are in Him, when you, when you lay down your life for Him, when you're absolutely surrendered and committed to Him, then no matter what your job status is, no matter what your reputation is, no matter how many zeros are at the end of your paycheck, no matter all of that, that can go up and down. Those things can shake. Those things can falter. But none of that can shake the fact that you have a God who loves you, who adores you, who is the King of all kings and has given you access to Him. The greatest and most impossible act in human history 
is an absolute surrender to God. And Jesus did that his entire life, even to the cross. And that impossible act of love and of that life gives us a freedom to step into so that when we surrender to Him, when we lift up empty hands of faith, that in that moment we have access to God. I want to end where we started this sermon series. Remember I said that we have access to God not through what we've done, but simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When you surrender, you get access. And now that we've gone these seven weeks, the whole point of this is that now that you have access, you have an opportunity to surrender even more and more and more to Him. For the light of God's love to shine in your life and to surrender new things, more things, more wants and desires that we think will give us ultimate security, but really you're aiming too low because God says, I want to do so much more than that in your life. My prayer for us, my prayer for this city, my prayer for this world is that we would get beyond the what of the impossible things that God can do and then we would focus our hearts and our minds on the who that is behind all of that. Often we think that, okay, if we just focus on God, trust God, then He will give us what we want. Oh, we've got to aim so much higher. Whether He gives us what we want or not, there is a God who is there for us, who loves us, who's given us access to Him, and who's calling you by name, who is a great God, who's a glorious God, who can do anything in your life, heal relationships, heal those wounds, give you the security that that person can never give you, can undo that cancer diagnosis. God is a God of miracles. But let's not miss the God behind all the blessings. Let's pray. God, as we consider the journey of Rocky and of the nation of Israel and even our own journey, would you help shape our hearts? Would you help move us to simply just want you to be with you, to trust you, to love you, to sit with you? May we love you more than the life that you provide. May we love you more than the promises that you give. May we love you more than even the what that you can do in our life. May you, who no other God is like you, who is majestic and splendor, awesome and glory, who has no rival, who has no comparison, God, would we set our hearts on you? And would you give us a peace and a security and a significance and a joy that is without comparison? As we sing to you, may it be a response to who you have revealed yourself to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.